You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So we've been talking about these values that shape us as who we are and who we're becoming as a church and the transitions that God has made in us over the last four and a half years. And this week, I want to just get straight into the conversation with us because I want to talk about something that is, in my opinion, very misunderstood uh, for rightful reasons. And I want to offer my opinion on why I think that's misunderstood. And you can have yours, and, and we can lay them down at the table together and see what the Lord does, and we'll look at Scripture and see what it means for us. But this week I was reminded of a very simple truth, that everybody needs to be needed. Everyone needs to be needed. And... Perhaps this is in part what it means to be created in the image of a triune God, a God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. Because as God within himself, as one, is, is, is community, we find that we are hardwired for community. In the beginning when God made man, he said it wasn't good for man to be alone and he made woman. And we find that our lives are inextricably connected to one another. There's nothing that we do in society that doesn't have an impact on someone else. Nobody can truly be can truly be a hermit. If we pay a mortgage, then we, or if we pay rent, then our lives are connected to someone else. I mean, no matter how we look at it, we are connected to someone else, to another person in society. It's just the way it works. Unless we were off as one person on an island, then, then that is about the only possible exception. Uh, we are connected to others. Even us, as we drive on roads that were paved by others, um, we are connected to another. And when we are finally awakened to the reality that we belong to God, we discover that we not only are connected to one another, but we belong to one another. That there's a sense of belonging there. There is a need there. And then we're compelled, as we realize we belong to one another in Christ, we're compelled to learn how to live a different way of life. No longer can I just live for me. I live in such a way knowing my life is connected to Kimberly's, and I have to be mindful of the fact that my choices affect her and her family because of the way our connection is as brothers and sisters in Christ. And in this kind of community, when we're awakened to the reality that we belong to one another, that church isn't just an activity, an event we participate in, but it is a community, a new community God has created in Christ. It's a new humanity, truly, the church, when faithful. Our lives become reformed for humility and mutual submission and reconciliation. It offers those who have been abandoned by others or who feel lonely, it offers them, the church, when, when faithful to that, it offers them a tangible sign of God's presence in the world, a tangible sign of God's kingdom. And I think this is one of the beautiful purposes of the church, and it's only manifest, I think, when the church fully submits to God and one another. And we don't live in a world that understands values or really grasps or even wrestles with the notion of submission. It carries with it all kinds of bad terms. Bad, bad thoughts. And I, and I want to offer in a few moments why I think that may be. Uh, and I may not really have to do that if we start thinking through our own narratives and our own life. But I think especially in religion, submission carries with it very unhealthy connotations. And I think rightfully so. Uh, but I want to I start with Jesus because that's always a good place to start. <laughs> Mark 10, uh, verse 35 through 45. And we're not going to go through the details of this text, but I want you to see the narrative and how it flows. 
So then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do something for us if we ask you. And I love the fact that Jesus does this. He says, what do you want me to do for you? I love that about Jesus. What do you want me to do? He asked them. Well, they answered and said, allow us to sit at your right hand and your left hand in your glory. In other words, we want to be your CEO and VP. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking, which is probably usually the case. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. <laughs> Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and you'll be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. And there he's talking about the fires of suffering. Okay, not, not water baptism. Verse 40, but to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those it has been prepared. And when the other ten disciples heard this, as you would think, they began to be indignant with James and John. I imagine that Jesus hears the arguments taking place, or at least sees the looks that Peter and Simon and Andrew are giving James and John because they asked Jesus for the number one and number two spot on Jesus' team. I imagine. So Jesus calls them over, verse 42. And he says to them, because he doesn't just leave it alone. Jesus is about to give them the higher ethic. Okay, please embrace that, that the higher ethic here. And he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles dominate them. Now, this is Roman government stuff. Roman government, what kind of government was Rome? For those incredibly intelligent people, Clifton, what kind of government? What kind of government was Rome? Clifton's like, okay, coffee, coffee, eating, eating a biscuit. What kind of government was Rome? Anybody, anybody know? Yeah, it was an imperial autocracy, and it looked very much like a democracy, very much. Not quite, but they had the, the Senate who were uh, for the people, supposed to be the voice of the people with Caesar, who was the king. And don't get me wrong, it was still very top-heavy, but my point is, is we weren't talking about just a, a sum total dictatorship here. That's not necessarily the context Jesus is leaning into when he says the Gentiles. Okay, he says... You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and their men of high positions exercise power over them. That certainly happened. But it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man God himself, in the flesh, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What you have here, what we have here is an inversion of power. Whereas we live in a society that has power over, Jesus says, that may be how the world works, the Gentiles. You may look around at the power structures in business and politics and society and other communities like homeowners associations and, <laughs> and you see that there are power structures and they're top down. And we live into it and we accept it. Raise your hand if you have a boss. And we accept that. 
And we say that in a capitalistic society, it must happen this way. There must be leadership. We, we give all these good reasons as to why this is the case, and I'm not going to argue that. Because I don't really know if Jesus is concerned about why we think things work. I think what Jesus is concerned about is us being faithful to how he says the world could and should work, and the world does work when it's living under the reign of Jesus as Lord. And the world isn't, but we are as the church. Jesus is Lord of us. For those of us who believe, those of us who have trusted him to be Lord. And so Jesus says, among you, it should not be about domination and power from the top down. Those of you who have ego, like Fred, who want to be great, have to realize that you need to be servant. For those of you who have ego, who want to control... Others who want to flex power and position, who want to flex the fact that I've been here for 40 years. My granddad built this church. For those of you who give the most money or give the most time, it says if you want to have any kind of influence at all, you have to make yourself a slave to all. Jesus says, because that's what I did. And I guess Jesus figures that if he did it, and we're called to follow Jesus, that we should learn how to do the same. See, this is a different way of being in the world. And really, I could stop there, I think, and give you the shortest sermon I've ever preached in my life. And I think that would be enough if we were all committed to going in home and, and, and thinking that through practically. If we were all committed to going home and, and, and laying our lives down on the altar and sacrificing our lives for the good of the other and really starting to be honest with where our egos are and our pride and our desire for position and all these different things and our desire for power and understand that this is the way God's kingdom works. And we have to remember that this is the opposite of the way the world works. The world doesn't honor the servant. It honors the powerful. The world makes very clear, our cultures make very clear distinctions between the two. And Jesus inverts that. And that's significant. And one of the things we have to live into as a church is this notion of mutual submission because that's really what it is. And even in disagreement, and this is where it really works because the world is hard and and we come at things from crazy points of view, many of us, and, and we have our own points of view and bias. And the reality is that disagreement, if mutual submission is there, disagreement is an opportunity to set Jesus apart as Lord because the Spirit lives within each one of us. We then submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And so as a community of faith, we begin to discern together. We begin to turn one ear up to God and one ear out to others. As, as pastors practicing shared leadership as a church, we practice communal discernment. We, not become, we don't try to be a corporation or a well-managed club. I mean, many of us have very, very astute business experience. And I spent seven years in the... How long was I? 
almost 10 years uh, in, in the business world, and I was in management in the business world before I was in ministry, and I understand the need and the notion to want to run things like a business and a, and a well-managed organization, but the reality of it is the church was never constructed to be simply that. Are we organized? Yes. We're organized as an organism, the body of Christ, but we're not organized as an organization. We are the wounded but healed, the scarred but beautiful body of Christ. And so in the body of Christ, each person in our faith community becomes important. And that only becomes true, I think, when we decide that we're not going to try and have power over another. So the word submission has a history of abuse in the church and elsewhere for that matter. It's been used to enforce hierarchy or patriarchy to impose authority. But the word as used in the New Testament church actually overthrows all that. The word submission used in Scripture overthrows notions of hierarchy and patriarchy. It becomes a, a, a word that is always used in the context of mutuality, of me to you and you to me and, and of me to the other. It's a mutual understanding, which is why I'm calling it mutual submission. It's a process of mutually coming together to submit together to one Lord. And then submission becomes the opposite of, one, of imposing one man's or woman's authority over another. It's instead the act of submission to Jesus as Lord first and then to one another in that space of his lordship. And many, of course, rightly fear this word because of its past misuse as a tool of hierarchy, abuse, coercion. To me, this is why the practice of submission must always start with those who are in obvious positions of, of power. Those in power do not ask for someone to submit to them. I have heard elders stand up before churches. I have heard preachers and pastors stand up before churches. I've heard language such as, you know, pastoral covering, um, pastoral authority. I've heard all that stuff before. And I've heard elders demand that churches follow them because elders are elders of the church. And the tragedy of that is that is an indication that there is a lack of understanding of what it means to live within the context of mutual submission. When leaders of a church, and what I love about our shepherds, is I genuinely believe in all of their imperfections. They genuinely understand and desire a sense of mutual submission to the body of Christ as they submit to the Lord. Yet they are charged by the Lord to serve and to lead. They are, they are in, entrusted with the Lord with some authority. But they submit that authority to the Lord and truly submit their lives to this church. And that is what I do love about our shepherds. I've seen it. I've seen it for four and a half years constantly. They are good men. They're good men. And I think if shepherds and ministers are going to lead, there has to be a sense that the leaders have to have the mud on their boots. Here's my point. I can never stand before you as a church and ask you to do something that I'm not already doing. To me, that would be hypocrisy. So if I ask you, or if I come through the scriptures and say, love your neighbor, and I don't know my own neighbors, there's something wrong with that. 
If I come to you and say, love the poor, and my, there's not mud on my boots in loving the poor, there's something wrong with that. If I come and stand before you and the Lord and talk about mutual submission, and I'm not trying to live my life in that direction, then there's something clearly wrong with that. I think we have to be honest with where we struggle and be honest with where we are faithful. And understand that above all things, the first shall always be last, and the ruler will always be a servant of all. Because that's what we see in Jesus. Submission is always mutual under the rule of his lordship. It's a testing and listening process. It's never in position. It's always in the place of trust. And so it's contrary to being an instrument of hierarchy. It is a complete overthrow of hierarchy and patriarchy. It is not complementarianism. It is actually egalitarianism. It levels the playing field. And according to the teachings of the New Testament, submission is never about subordination. And that is the difference that we have to make sure we understand. Submission is not subordination. Submission is not subservience. Submission is just that. It's submission. And I want to demonstrate very physically what it looks like. Um, Surely. I know you're going to. Can you come here, please? You can bless me out after service. If you know Shirley, she's not, she's not willing to do that. I want you to stand here, please. I love this woman. You just need to know that. This is, to me, a physical posture of submission. Stay right there. And no, I'm not proposing. But I want you to look at this. Shirley's a woman. I'm a man. This is a mutual posture of submission. This is one to the other. But if Shirley understands that submission is mutual, Shirley then takes a knee with me. She gardens. She can do this. And you see how this works? And then when we come to this table, Shirley, we turn around to the table together, don't we? We turn around to the table together, at the table of the Lord together. This is the posture of the church. Not this. This is the posture of some churches. This is the posture of society. But that is not the posture of the kingdom. Thank you. Our behaviors must look like that. How we live life together must look like that. It's contrary to how we feel. It's not what we want to do. It's not what comes most natural to us, especially when we're entrusted with positions of power. But it is nonetheless the way of the cross. It is the way the Christian community is supposed to learn how to operate. It wouldn't matter if Shirley were black, brown, white, rich, or poor. And it doesn't matter if she's female or male. Mutual submission has no condition other than that of Jesus Christ. We'll wrestle on our knees together, won't we? I'll try to stand up on Shirley and try to flex, and because Shirley's my sister, and if you know Shirley, she will, she'll pull me right back down. The elders will pull me right back down. You'll pull me right back down. We'll pull each other down. That's what it means to love one another for God's sake. 
and we bring ourselves back down to the posture of mutual submission. This doesn't mean that we agree on everything. This doesn't mean that we can't have strong opinions. This doesn't mean we can't have deep-rooted convictions, actually. It just means that mutual submission is about disadvantaging myself for the other person. It's about leveraging whatever authority and power I may have for the good of the other. It's about not trying to work to my own advantage, but literally working to my disadvantage for the good of someone else. And the reality of it is, is when you do that for me and I do that for you and, and, and they do it for them and they do it for them, then everybody's working to one another's advantage. And the Bible would call that over 54 times the one another commands. Respect one another, love one another, forgive one another, submit to one another. The one another commands capture, when you add them all up, this idea of mutual submission where there's a one anotherness about it. Matter of fact, you might even say that submission becomes an orientation of gracious hospitality where we're making room in our lives for the other, even at, for, the sake of our, for the sake of the other, at the risk of ourselves, to making ourselves vulnerable, that there's a sense of trust, that I have a relationship with Shirley enough to where I can trustfully lay down before her and submit to her wisdom and submit to her life and her love and, and serve her and do the, do the work for her good and, and sacrifice what it is I may have so that she may have what I, what I have and so that I may lay down in self-giving love even if it means sacrificing self and vulnerability. It, that it's about this mutuality. It's not about overpowering, but it's about empowering. It's about embracing one another and submission to others can only happen when we're fully and truly in submission to God. It can't happen any other way. It's why we don't see it in a lot of churches. And we must trust that God's love for us is perfect. And we see that his love works itself out in submission when we see Christ submitting to the Father for the sake of the world. When Christ, we see Christ submitting to God and that it's not just possible, but it's necessary and it's good. And we can see the Father is trustworthy of our lives and He's not going to play games with our lives. And so you and I can learn how to live and submit our lives to God and trust Him with our lives because we see Jesus was able to do that. Jesus was able to, the apostles were able to do that. 2,000 years of, of Christian tradition, especially the first 400 years, Christians were dying for their belief because they knew that they could submit to God and they could submit to one another and they could submit to the consequences of a world that did not give one flip about God, even if it meant their death. We can submit to one another mutually and God gives us the power to do so. And he calls us to it. We're going to mess it up a lot. I am. I already have. will. I'm going to jockey for position. My pride and my ego is going to get in the way. I'm going to try and flex some muscle that I don't really have. And I'm going to be wrong. And I'm going to repent. And you're going to have to forgive me. And we're going to have to forgive one another. And we're going to have to take a knee again. We're going to have to come to this table again. As we do every week and remember that the ground is level here. And we're going to have to remember that submission is not subordination. That is a profound difference in the historical understanding of submission. Particularly when we talk about roles. of Men and women and black and brown and white. It's very important to understand the distinction. And we see that no wonder... 
we see and we're not at all surprised that the community that bears the name of Christ should be a community of mutual submission. Because mutual submission models the life of God in Christ Jesus himself. We can disagree. Let's disagree. Let's flesh it out. Let's debate it out. Matter of fact, let me just say this. If you can't wrestle with the real issues of the world in the kingdom of God, I don't know where else you can wrestle with them. Do you? Do you know of a better place where we are supposed to be able to disagree safely? The reason we can disagree is because we're safe, supposed to be. You're not going to obliterate me. Except through emails. (laughs) You're not going to obliterate me, hopefully, because of my idiocy and my misunderstanding and and the disagreement we have with one another. Hopefully you're not going to obliterate one another because we submit to one another in love and self It doesn't mean we agree, we just submit. You understand the difference, right? We, we, we get the, the difference. Like Christ, we, we lay our lives down, and we aren't always having to win all the time. We can listen. And George will still be wrong. But we can listen to George. He's an attorney. You probably don't want to argue with him. You will lose. <laughs> As words from his mama. Okay, I'm going to stop. He's giving me the stare. We submit, we disagree, we wrestle it out, but we do so safely, knowing that we can be vulnerable and open, knowing that we can be liberal as a day as long or as conservative as a day as long, and know that you know, we're not, our Christianity is not going to put to the test because every week we're going to come to this table and remember that Jesus isn't going to test us in some Bible Jeopardy game on our beliefs. He's going to ask us, do you believe in me? And are you submitting to me? I'll work out your bad theology, but do it together. Where is that wrong? I believe deeply in doctrine. I believe deeply in theology. I believe deeply in good doctrine. I think there's bad and good. I think there's healthy and unhealthy. But Jesus did not say the world's going to know your mind by your right beliefs. He said the world's going to know your mind by how what? By how what? How we love one another. And I'll tell you something. In a world that lacks civility in speech... If we could model civility in speech through disagreement, that might get the world's attention. If we could learn to disagree and not obliterate one another in a disagreement and not maliciously lambast one another in a disagreement, that might get the world's attention. If we would stop doing the passive-aggressive things on Facebook and throwing everybody under the bus in the name of our politics or our ideology that might get the world's attention we can have convictions deep convictions non-negotiable convictions let's just make sure that one of those non-negotiable convictions is love for one another and mutual submission see Paul would say it this way in Ephesians chapter 5 He would say, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us as a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. And then 
A few verses later, he reminds us of this. He says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise people, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, say this with me. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The apostle in this very same text then goes on to describe all relationships in terms of mutual submission, including marriage. Not subordination, but submission. And then in marriage and in family and in work. And the gospel... The gospel transforms all these relationships from hierarchy and coercion and usurping to relationships of mutual submission under one Lord. And there are countless examples throughout the New Testament of this mutuality and submission to authority in the ways our role, in the way our roles in the body work together, for example, in 1 Corinthians 12, and in the way we live our lives as people in his world. And all of this gets to the heart of what Paul was trying to help us understand about this new humanity that God created. When Paul writes Ephesians 1 and 2, he talks about this new community God created, this new humanity that takes a look at our differences but doesn't allow our differences to create hierarchy or patriarchy or some sort of subordination or subservient community but one of mutual submission. Here's what I mean in Galatians 3 verse 27. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ to put on Christ like a garment, there's no Jew or Greek slave or free male or female for you are all one where in christ jesus and later on in colossians 3 he says do not lie to one another since you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self it's the new humanity we're talking about you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator according to the image of god in christ there's not greek and jew circumcision or uncircumcision barbarian scythian slave and free but christ is say it with me All and in all. And if we have a community of faith that has all this subordination in it, then we're we're misreading Paul. We're taking Paul completely out of his context and, and ignoring the fact that Paul mentioned all this stuff too. And we're completely missing Jesus, I think, in the notion that we're called to live lives of mutual submission. Men and women, men to women, women to men, black to white, white to black, brown, all of it, poor to rich, rich to poor. It's mutual submission. We don't get caught up in all this level and all these things of who's got what on who and who's got what position where and I've been here for this long. It's about working it out together and doing so with a posture of humility and one that always moves towards reconciliation and bringing together what's been broken apart and in light of these texts and many others and in light of Jesus' own teaching and ministry with men and women the rich and the poor etc we should be able to see that submission isn't subordination and that biblical submission is always mutual submission and I think we've allowed our western lens to color how we read the biblical text and we've done so I think at the expense of others whether in the name of power pastoral authority or leadership And we read a section or two of the biblical text completely away from its context in the rest of the New Testament. Or worse, we haven't read Paul or Peter or John or James in light of what we see in Jesus. And this is why many times I think Paul is often misunderstood. Furthermore, I think, really, if you look at these texts, particularly the context, I think a lot of this comes from the understanding, we, we kind of misunderstand baptism and what God has promised 
as a result. And that the role of men and women and spiritual giftedness and pastoral authority or leadership, in my opinion, must all be interpreted and understand, understood in light, of the mutual, in light of the larger ethic of mutual submission. Mutual submission is about leveling the playing field for all of God's church. Men, women, rich, poor, white, black, brown, able-bodied, disabled. Mutual submission allows the people of God to serve based upon their giftedness which flows from the new humanity, not based upon some other category. You've got to let that sink in. Submitting to one another, mutual submission is only possible in a community where Jesus is Lord. It's not possible in a community where somebody else is Lord. It is this new community that will not obliterate the other for being wrong, but actually makes a new me possible in this new space created for transformation of the world by the work of God and Jesus. In this new community under the Lordship, which enables me to give up myself and die to my flesh, His Lordship reigns in my life, in our lives, and it becomes safe to submit to one another. The reason why it's not safe to be confessional to one another and this is because it's not, nobody, we're not submitting to one another. Kimberly should be able to stand up and tell you all her baggage and it not be a problem because she's our sister and we all have baggage and we submit to her and her struggle and she submits to us in the struggle and we all together submit to Jesus Christ and his lordship. That is why Nicole can stand up here and say, hey, my son's been in jail and everybody can say, and then when her son walks through the doors, the church can embrace him. And not treat him like an ex-con. Because we submit to him. And we submit to her. That is why people should be able to stand up and say, I'm hurting here. I'm struggling with this. And we may be surprised to hear that from Hoyt. Because Hoyt's been in the Lord for 97 years. <laughs> and he's been in the church for 50. Not quite. But in our submission to him, in our mutual submission to Christ, there's no judgment there. We're not surprised that John needs Jesus. Have you met him? We're not surprised at that. You're not, you can't be surprised that I need Jesus. Do you know me? That only happens when it's rooted in mutual submission. When we are willing to disadvantage ourselves for the good of the other. And we do so under the lordship of Jesus. And where is this formed, I think, in the body of Christ? Well, there's a reason. There's a, there's a lot of reasons why we celebrate Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper every week. A lot of reasons. But one of the reasons that becomes most important to me is how this can form us as a people if we come to the table understanding the table. Understanding the symbol of the table. Not just the bread and the wine. The bread and the wine and the symbol of the table together. Understanding the context of the table. So at this table 2,000 years ago, Jesus sat with his disciples in Luke chapter 22. And beginning verse 14, here's what it says. 
When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup and after giving me thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and he gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. And what we've often done is we put a period at the end of that sentence and we make communion out to be merely a memorial. A memorial about me and Jesus. And it's a pray and pass experience for some of us. And it's my time. When we started changing it up, I heard, it's, it's my time. And it's not your time, it's our time. See, that's mutual submission, our time. And it's here. Because in the same context, Jesus attaches meaning to the bread and wine, to the table. He says, but look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table for me, for the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to that man whom his, he is betrayed. And so they begin to argue again among themselves. You know, like, take, take great peace in the fact that God, that Jesus' people argue a lot. Like, they do, like, like, Jesus says something, they start arguing together. And they argue amongst themselves. I mean, that probably could be another part of the message of mutual submission. They begin to argue among themselves as to who it would be, who was going to do this thing. And verse 24, then the dispute arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. I don't know how they segued there. Like, I've always wondered, like, is Clifton going to betray him? Is Danny going to betray him? I don't know, but I'm the greatest. I mean, how did that work? You know, like, did somebody stand up like Muhammad Ali and just started arguing about how they're the greatest? I don't get it, but somehow ego and position became a part of the equation. At the table. Like, so let's give each other grace. We can be jacked up. We, do, we choose to be messed up at sometimes the worst points in time. Hey, the bread and the wine, the body of Christ, but I'm greater than you. Take it. I mean, I, like, that's how we get that. It's not good. Okay, so then we come back and we hear Jesus, and Jesus says to them, basically a repeat, right? Verse 24, the kings of the Gentiles dominate them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. I am pastor, father, most holy reverend presidents you are the people clergy and laity distinction but it must not be like that among you on the contrary and i love that jesus didn't just say it shouldn't be like that among you now let's go ahead and go on he says on the contrary whoever is greatest among you must become like the youngest so let me illustrate Good-looking young man, why don't you come up here? How old are you, Jacob? You're 18. You're twice your age. There are people here who are four times your age. Tammy, specifically. <laughs> He's 18. How long have you been a Christian? Time. Long time. Longer than Hoyt? No, that's okay. <laughs> Jacob's like, I'm not coming to church again. Dad, Dad. <laughs> No, he's not here. <laughs> Mutual submission. This is what I'm talking about today, right? So stand right there. This is mutual submission. To me, to you, the youngest. 
And your mutual submission is what to me? Take a knee. <laughs> yeah, you're still taller than me. How about that? This is mutual submission. I'm not concerned about him being an 18-year-old whippersnapper. This is my brother. I have a responsibility to him. My responsibility is rooted not in authority, not in my length of time in Christ alone. My responsibility to Jacob is rooted in the fact that he is my brother and I'm to give my life away to him. This is Christianity, I think. And I screw it up a lot. But we got to get this right. And at the table, at the table, we can learn to get it right. Because at the table, Jacob holds the same bread and the same wine I do because of the same confession that we've made together. At the table, the liberal sits with the conservative, the Democrat with the Republican, and the libertarian. At the table, the male with the female, the black with the white, the brown. At the table. And everyone is at the table because we're submitting to the host of the table. And that, I think, is Jesus' genius of teaching this message one more time while at the table. When he says what he says. For who is greater? Who is greater? The one at the table or the one serving? Well, in society, it would be the one at the table, not the one serving. Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are the one who stood by me by my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. So Jesus turns around and says, I'm the one at the table, yet I'm the one serving you. And now what I do is I give you the kingdom to do the same for others. Mutual submission is our call. And this table becomes the greatest symbol and ritual for us to remember what it means to be a people of mutual submission. And we do it every week. Because the ground is level at the cross. The seats are equal at the table. No one's better than anybody at the table. And if we somehow start thinking that someone's better than somebody else Monday through Saturday, when we come to this table, we remember it just isn't true. You cannot come to the Lord's table apart from submitting to Jesus and his presence and what's happening around the table. It's a posture of surrender to Christ, tending to his presence. It leads to submission to others, as Jesus illustrates. And he inaugurates at the table with his words that I'm bestowing the kingdom to you. And he announces that the authority that shall be manifest here around this table will not be hierarchical authority, patriarchal authority, or complementarian type of authority, but an egalitarian type of authority that serves to understand that we are servants of one another. It is mutual submission. And Jesus in his grace promised to equip and empower us to live this life of mutual submission together at the table. 